We're going to be back to 2 Timothy again this morning, chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible somewhere around you that you can use. And I believe it's on page 995. We're going to be... My, uh, my older brother, my oldest brother likes to troll me. He seems to take a lot of joy out of that. It's kind of like if Johnny were my older brother, like that's the relationship. <laughs> so he, he found out I was on vacation in Michigan this week. And he's like, hey, you dummy, what are you doing on vac- for vacation in Michigan in the winter? I'm like, no, no, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're at the church. It's really good. So I, I was able to shut him up quickly, but it's just been a um, really a joy to be here. Beautiful week. Michigan, as you know, at least this week's been really kind to us weather-wise, and um, just great to connect with friends and for Sherry family, so it's been a real blessing. Let's start off in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that we can come back to week after week and be led by the Holy Spirit as we seek to understand it. We thank you that you're faithful to send the Holy Spirit because without him, we would not be able to understand it. And we pray this morning as we open up your word that as you have promised in your word, the Holy Spirit would be here among us and apply it to our hearts, that our hearts would catch fire for Jesus Christ, for his word, for the gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off this morning with culture Because the passage we're going to be studying, we have to understand the culture to understand the passage correctly. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. Our culture is, by that I mean in the United States, our culture is primarily driven by right and wrong. By right and wrong. So if you're at a Michigan State basketball game waiting to get into the Breslin Center. There's a line, it's freezing, and you see some guy cut the line. You know everybody from where he cut behind him is going to say, dude, get to the rear. It's wrong for you to cut the line. This is just something that no one ever taught any of us, right? They never said, hey, listen... Welcome to the United States. Here's your culture. Let me explain it to you. It's, it's something that we all agree on, but no one has ever stated. And you can see it very clearly. All you got to do is go home and turn on the news. And in five minutes, you're going to be bombarded with right and wrong. This guy murdered this guy. That's wrong. This person stole an auto. That's wrong. This coach ran up the score on the other football team. That's wrong. That's unsportsmanlike. And we're all going, yeah, oh yeah, totally. 
So that's the way our culture works. Paul and Timothy's culture did not work primarily that way. Yes, they believed in right and wrong, but that wasn't the primary driver of culture. The primary driver of culture for Paul and Timothy was honor and shame. And, and it's a fundamentally different way of thinking than our culture. If you got dropped there, you would be quite confused. And we have a really beautiful illustration of it. There's a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by Randy Richards. And Randy was a born in the U.S., went to Indonesia as a missionary. And Indonesia's culture is honor-shame. So he's there. There's an Indonesian couple. And the husband cheats on his wife. So he is counseling the couple. And of course, Randy's counseling from his cultural perspective. So he's saying, you husband have wronged your wife. We'd all be like, yep, that's totally it. He wronged his wife. It's a terrible betrayal <clears throat> and a horrible sin. So there he is kind of explaining this, but he said to his surprise, the wife's primary concern was not the right and wrong about the issue. He said her primary concern was expressed in a repeated statement, where can I put my face now? Where can I put my face now? And what she meant was, what really, the, the way her culture really pushed on her in that instance was, my husband has shamed me. And so now in my village as I go out, everyone knows what happened. And they all look at me and they go, oh, there goes the poor lady whose husband cheated on her. And she's like, I, I don't know where I can turn my face now. So that's the difference between honor, shame, and right and wrong. They're just radically different. There's, it's not a, this culture's better, this culture's worse. It's just the way it is, and some things about our culture are maybe more conducive to the gospel and some less. In some ways, the honor, shame, there's things in it that are more conducive and some that aren't. But when we look at this letter, Paul's writing from an honor-shame perspective, and we're going to see that as we go through. But let's review first. So I said last week, this is Paul's last letter. And in your last letter, somebody sits you down and says, you've got a month to live, here's some paper, write what you want to. You're going to write what's important. Only what's important. And so Paul's writing to Timothy saying, you are going to go on after I am dead. So here's what I want you to understand. And we said that his, his main message or in the first part was, keep fanning into flames the gift of God within you. That's one of the things I want you to remember. I'm leaving you have the gifting of teaching, of evangelism. Keep fanning that in the flames. Keep doing it. So that's where we left it off. And we saw that Paul, while faced death, 
not only with courage, but with this stalwart hope that the death is not the end. There's something beyond there, and I'm going to receive it because of Christ. So we get to our passage, and Paul next tells Timothy, he says, keep fanning into flames the gift of God within you. And then he says, oh, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. We pick it up in verse 8. Therefore, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the first thing Paul says in this passage is, listen, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. So we we immediately see this honor-shame culture. What what Paul is saying is, the culture is going to push you this way. It's going to push you towards shame of me and shame of the gospel. And what I want you to remember is, don't be ashamed of the gospel. So we say, well, why would Timothy be ashamed of Paul? Or why might he be ashamed of the gospel? It's not too hard to figure out, okay? So we said last week, Paul's sitting there, Mamertine prison. It's where the Romans put prisoners that were going to be, they were political prisoners that were going to be executed. So Paul knows my time's short. In that culture, much like in our culture, it's kind of embarrassing to be in prison, right? You know, if your Uncle Billy is in prison for Grand Theft Auto, that's probably not information you pass along the first time you meet somebody. You know, like, here's my wife, Uncle Billy, he would be here, but he's doing 20 upstate. You know, like, probably just going to pass over that news. And that's kind of the exact same way in their culture. It was shameful to be in prison. Because who is in prison? Criminals. Hey, if Paul's in prison, he must be a criminal, right? That's pretty clear to everybody who knows it. So, that's kind of shameful. Of course, it would be possible that Timothy would be like, yeah, the guy, the guy who's been my mentor, yeah, he's in, he's in prison. That's kind of embarrassing. So Paul understands as he says, hey, listen, don't be ashamed of me because, of, because I'm in prison. And not only that, when Paul writes this letter about, we think, two years prior, Rome, the city of the empire, had burned. And the Caesar at the time, Nero, had blamed it on the Christians. He said, oh, the Christians burned Rome started a terrible, actually, um, torture of the Christians. Historians think Nero burned it himself, but he blamed it on the Christians. So, if you're in Rome, where Paul is, you're probably not impressed with Christians. They burned your town. That's probably another good reason to be ashamed of 
Paul and Christians. And then he says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Well, why might you be ashamed of the gospel? And actually, as we go on, we discover a couple of guys who were ashamed of the gospel. Why might he be ashamed of the gospel? Well, for one thing, what do you do when... Here's the gospel, okay? Here's a simple definition of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Or I can apply it personally. Christ died for my sins. That's the gospel. So when you meet somebody and teach the gospel to them, what's the first thing that stands out? You are a sinner. This isn't news that, in general, people accept well. Rarely, when you tell them that the first time, are they like, that's really interesting. I want to know more about that. That's really something that is fascinating to me. How am I a sinner? Let's go deep there. No, you're like, what do they do? No, dude, like, I'm not that bad. That's what they'll say. Well, you know, yeah, sure, I do a few, few bad things. Mom's that bad. That's not a message they're going to receive well. And you see it in our time. Paul saw it in his time. Rarely was the gospel received quickly when it's first preached. Sometimes, but rarely. So, yeah, you could be ashamed of that. I mean, why was Paul in prison? He was in prison for preaching the gospel. So here's Timothy going, well, you know, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. If I just don't preach the gospel, I won't be in prison. So I don't think I'm going to do that. So that's the possibility. Yeah, you could be ashamed of the gospel. We certainly could be ashamed of the gospel, right? Now, this is not an implication that Timothy was ashamed of the gospel. Paul isn't saying, listen, Timothy, words got back to me. You're ashamed of the gospel. Just admit it, and let's go on from there. It's an encouragement. It's a call to faithfulness. There's one commentator who imagines a dialogue at this point between Paul and Timothy, and he says, Paul says to Timothy, be not ashamed. And Timothy says, I will never be. And Paul says back, I know thou wilt not. Do you ask why then this call to Timothy? Thousands of such calls are uttered by one brave man to another, each having the same brave response implied and accepted. Every such call cheers, makes the task easier, the victory surer. So the commentator is saying, listen, that, he's not saying Timothy's ashamed of the gospel. He's calling him not to be ashamed. Don't start being ashamed of the gospel. And it was a way to, in essence, encourage Timothy to buck up his courage. And wouldn't that be cool if in our fellowship we called each other to faithfulness. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel here at Graham. And, and the person you, you say that to says, yes, let's not be ashamed of the gospel. That's what's going to mark our fellowship. We're not ashamed. We're calling each other to faithfulness. And that's what's going on here. 
And then lest Timothy forget, Paul goes into a really quick summary of the gospel, which I also have to summarize quickly. You could spend a lot of time in these two verses, but I'm going to go through it really quick because I don't have time to go deeply. He says three things. <clears throat> he says, don't, don't forget, Timothy, I'm going to repeat the gospel. Why? Because this is my last letter to you. And truth is important. He's actually going to say that again in a couple more verses. Truth is important. What is the gospel? <clears throat> One, God saved us by his own power. Not by our efforts, by us aiding him. God saved us by his own power. Two, God saved us not by our good works, but by his own purpose and grace. I guarantee in our country, if you find somebody who believes in the afterlife, they believe in heaven, and they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and unfortunately some followers of Jesus Christ, they will say, when I get to heaven, there's going to be a grand set of scales. And my good works are going to be on one side, and my bad works are going to be on the other. And if the good works outweigh the bad... God is going to let me into heaven. And of course, they are going to outweigh the bad because I'm not a bad person. That's, I guarantee, you find somebody that believes in heaven, that's what they believe. And Paul's like, nope, that's wrong. That is wrong. God does not save us by our own good works. Those works are worthless. He saves us by his own power and grace. And then he says, the work of Christ on the cross, resurrection, abolished spiritual death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So to sum it up, Paul says, in Christ, if you are in Christ, death is dead, life is eternal, and we are free. Death is dead, life is eternal, and we are free. That's the gospel. Then Paul says, he is not ashamed. Picking up in verse 11, he, he says, The gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now there is deep irony here. We have Paul again. You, you get that honor shame coming out. Culture is pressing back against me, telling me I should be ashamed. But I'm not ashamed. That's quite ironic. But when you think about it, it really makes sense. Because everything about Paul within his culture screamed, you should be ashamed. He was in prison. Who was in prison? Guilty people. He's awaiting execution. Look at his life. What did it, what it consist of, okay? From the outside, 
Here's the guy who for the last 20 years has gone around the whole empire preaching some bogus message and basically getting himself in, in trouble and thrown into prison after prison. You know, he says, I was whipped several times. I was beaten with rods several times. I starved. I don't have any money. I, he's homeless. Like, this is shameful. Everything in the culture is like, dude, you're the opposite of success. You are a radical shame in our culture. And here's Paul. I'm not ashamed. Paul understands his culture, lived in it, absorbed it. It's like, but I'm not ashamed in the least. Why is, not, why, why is Paul not ashamed? Why is he not ashamed? Well, he, he really clearly says why in that statement. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The verb forms that he uses in that sentence are forms that say something was true in the past, Something is true now, and it will be true into the indefinite future. So he says, I know whom I have believed. I believed in him in the past. And I believe in him now as I await death. And I will believe him into the indefinite future. And I'm convinced that he can guard what he entrusted to me. I was convinced in the past. I'm convinced now. I'm convinced into the indefinite future. This is a very powerful statement of faith on Paul's part. When he says, I'm convinced that God is, can guard what is entrusted to me, he doesn't, he, it's kind of confusing in the Greek language, but what we think he meant was, so God made Paul a missionary to the Gentiles, that was his mission. That was what God called him to do. So he did it. And he suffered for it, as he says several times in this passage. And I think what Paul min means there is, none of what I have done has gone unnoticed by God. Nothing has been wasted about my life. Because what's the culture saying? Dude, you wasted your life. You're a failure. You should be ashamed. And Paul's saying, oh no. The ultimate banker is God and nothing of what I have done has been wasted. So what we see here is that Paul is all in on the gospel. He's all in on the gospel because what's going to happen to him? He's facing execution. He has no time to correct his life according to culture and become a success. So if how he has spent his life for the last 20, 25, 30 years is not true, his life is a shameful failure. It's either all or nothing. I'm all in. There's no backup plan here. 
There's nothing I can fall back on if we discover that what I've been preaching is not true. I am all in. And it's either true or it's not true. And if it's not true, he says in 1 Corinthians, I of all men are the most to be pitied. Because what a waste my life was. But he doesn't say that. He's like, I'm all in. I'm not ashamed. Here I am in prison. I'm not ashamed. And neither should you be, Timothy. I'm going to hold that application till the end. Then he goes on to Timothy's work. He says, listen, the things you heard from me, the sound words you heard from me, continue them. By the Holy Spirit, take those words, take that truth, keep preaching it. But why does he do that? Because truth's important. Why are we here every Sunday? Why do we go to Scripture and preach the gospel from the Scripture? Because we believe the truth is here. And and Paul gave it to Timothy, and Timothy gave it to somebody else, and somebody else gave it to somebody else, and ended up with us here. That's the sound words. And Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm going away. I know that the churches are very often affected by false teachers, by falsehoods. Timothy preached the truth. Pretty important. It's like, yeah, I think I understand why Paul is going there. Paul is not ashamed. And then he says, Onesiphorus is not ashamed. Picking up at verse 15, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So you see their shame, the possibility of shame of Paul is real. Because he first starts out, hey listen, all who are in Asia departed from me. Then he names names, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. That's all we know about them. 2,000 years later, why are they in scripture? They were ashamed of Paul and the gospel. And they turned away from him. So when Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of me, he has good reason to do it because he's experienced people that have abandoned him. Because they turn, you know, it's interesting, you see from his words, the honor-shame part of the culture. They turned away from me. You know, you go back to that Indonesian wife who was cheated on, where do I turn my face now? That's the culture coming out. Paul's a prisoner. He's going to be executed. Yeah, you had a great message, but man, if it ends with Paul, why am I doing this? I'm just going to imprison myself. I don't want that. I'm turning away. I'm ashamed of Paul. I'm turning away. So the possibility of shame was very real. And you see, you see we see that. You know, we see it as believers from from 20 centuries away. And we want to say, no, Phygelus, Hermogenes, don't do it. Don't turn away. Because there's no other hope. 
That's your one hope. If you turn away, there's nothing else for you. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go for the truth? And isn't it interesting that every age we see this. If you're on TikTok, you can find everywhere people that call themselves ex-evangelicals, meaning, well, I was a Christian, I was an evangelical, but I left the faith. I deconstructed. And inevitably, when you see those guys explain their journey away from faith, it's never to anything. There's no hope for them. They just have a lot of criticisms of why they left the faith. But you're like, well, what, what did you leave it to? What's your hope now? It's not there. There's no hope. The church will, can and will fail you. Other Christians can and will fail you. I can and will fail you. Jesus will not fail you. Book of Hebrews says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But then we have really cool good news here. Paul says, Yeah, Figelis, Hermogenes, they were ashamed of me. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of me. And all we know about Onesiphorus is what we find right here. Apparently he was in Ephesus. He knew Paul. Heard that he was in prison. Went to Rome. Apparently, I'm going to find him. Like, he needs my help. I'm going to go find him. So he goes to Rome and Paul says, he earnestly searched for me. And he found me. You can imagine that scene, right? So here's Paul. I'm in this prison. Listen, there's not heating. There's not cooling. There's not light at night. I'm stuck here. I'm awaiting execution. And everybody has left me. I have nobody to help me. And then one day, all of a sudden, a familiar face. Paul, I found you. I found you. You can imagine that, Paul. Wow. Just his words in this passage, come through so clearly. And isn't that the way the Lord often works? When we're at our lowest, when we need help the most, all of a sudden, the Lord just sends somebody. You didn't expect them. There they are. They give you that encouragement in the Lord. Praise the Lord that he does that. And Paul's like, thank you, Onesiphorus. Here we are 20 centuries later, talking about what he did for Paul. Pretty cool. It says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Onesiphorus is not ashamed of the gospel. All of those three, we know we're all in on the gospel. All three of them. That's a pretty easy application to make, right? We should be all in on the gospel. But I think it's particularly apropos to us, to Graham Church right now. And the reason I think that is because we are at a transition point. 
we didn't want it. It surprised us, but here we are anyway. And I know in the past, Graham Church, we were all in on the gospel. Because I sat and listened to Mike preach week after week after week. One of the things about him, how faithful he was to preach the word. I sat with the elders. I was one of them. I know those guys. I know they were all in on the gospel. And I know today, Graham Church is all in on the gospel. Because it's the same guys leading the church. But what I don't know is will Graham Church be all in on the gospel in the future? That's that transition point. Who are we going to be as a group of believers? Because there's no guarantee that Graham Church in the future is going to be all in on the gospel. I don't have to tell you guys the number of churches that have left the gospel. It doesn't happen by automatic, hey, just because we come here means we will be faithful to the gospel. That's why Paul wrote this whole letter to make sure Timothy was faithful when he was gone. So my encouragement to us, Graham Church, is to say, not only were we all in on the gospel in the past, not only were we, are we all in now, but we're going to be all in in the future. And it's not just your leaders that drive that. Yes, they drive it. They're the main drivers. But it's all of us collectively saying, are we pursuing the gospel or have we got sidetracked to something else? We want to be all in on the gospel. That's, the only, that's our only hope. There's nothing else. There's nothing to fall back on that you can say, you know, if we turn away from the gospel, let's go here, and that will be our hope. There's nothing for you beyond Christ. Nothing. And then obviously, we can't be all in on the gospel if I am not all in on the gospel, right? So it's a call to you as an individual. Are you all in on the gospel? It's your only hope. I'd be glad to hear if you have any other hope beyond that that's based on truth and not falsehoods. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Graham Church. I know you won't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Christ, Graham Church. I know you won't be ashamed of Christ. The music team is going to come up after I pray and sing a song that I've been listening. I just had it on repeat all week. As I've considered where we are, where Graham Church is. And I just play it again and again. 
my Lord, may this be their prayer, their faith, their anthem as they make this transition. And of course, when I say be all in in the gospel, there's only one way you can be all in. And that's with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do everything you want, but if the Holy Spirit's not there, it's a vain effort. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just this call from Paul, this pushing back against the culture himself and saying, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. What a call that is to us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Pray for us, for Graham Church as a community of believers, Lord. We're at an inflection point. We're at a transition point. And we know that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot sustain faithfulness to the gospel. But that is our heart. And we call heaven and earth to witness that you would bring your Holy Spirit on us and keep us faithful to the gospel year after year after year. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.